Welcome, everybody, to episode 87 of the Anagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and I realized in preparing for today's show that not everyone maybe knows who I am. Aside from being uh, one of four children of Joe and Suzanne's, uh, I work for Life in the Trinity Ministry and help produce the podcast, and I guess am quote unquote the producer and the editor. And I'm responsible for booking guests. We've had a lot of each Enneagram number on the show. And we've only had three people of color on the previous 86 episodes. And that's completely my fault. Uh, The way I looked at things was that it didn't matter if someone was black or white or Hispanic or Asian. It just didn't matter. It was about what we were talking about. And uh, as I continue to grow and learn from... Uh, people such as today's guest, uh, I see now that it's my responsibility to have the intentionality of having more diversity in our guests. That is something that I'm going to correct uh, immediately. And today's guest, uh, Jamie, wasn't like a part of this initiative. We were so excited to have Jamie on. Um, When we had scheduled the recording, it happened soon after the murder of George Floyd. So to everyone out there, I apologize, and I will do better. Uh, Jamie and Suzanne do a great job today of talking about Enneagram 7s, talking about what's going on in our society. Do you know that Jamie was diagnosed with OCD and Tourette's and anxiety disorders at a very young age? I related as a fellow 7 to so much of what she shared, especially about making dreams as big as they can be. I get that. And have you ever been talking about a book or a movie and then couldn't think of the name of it, but then uh, remembered it later on. Well, we're going to witness that firsthand in today's episode and everyone stick around for a small clip of the song show love by Jamie and her sister Morgan uh, from their latest offering songs for our children. I, I told you in the email, I was like, I've been listening to music. I just got done. Uh, listening to the new, or it's new to me, uh, show love songs for our children. Yeah. Yeah. That thank awesome. you. Yeah. Ah, thank you so, so much. Uh, that came out this year. So that is new. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think honored is the word, um, having met your sister and heard from her and now having looked forward all this time to getting to meet you. The one thing I'd like for you to arrange for me, if you could, is I'd like to meet your parents. <laughs> they are phenomenal. I can totally arrange that. Yeah, I bet they are. And I, <laughs> um, I heard so many things um, about them that I thought either I hope Joe and I were that or I wish Joe and I had been that, right? And, <laughs> and you two are quite remarkable and your way of seeing the world. All the talent is extra. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Thank very you so much with how you see the world. Thank you so much. That, that really means a lot. My sister and I both admire you so much. And I told her I was going to really try to be dignified through this whole conversation. Cause I, I was like, I was like, Morgan it's Suzanne. She was like, Jamie, don't be weird. I was like, I'm, tr- I'm going to try, but I can't promise. But like, so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying really hard to like be normal right now, but like, this is, this is really cool. I'm also sorry that you met the cool sister 
first because now I'm like, uh oh, there's no. a, a lot to live up to. But but thank you, we I really appreciate that. Yeah, you I don't, don't have anything any to live up sense. to. No, I'd be, I'd be curious. Have you ever thought? Have you and Dad ever thought? All right, we really need Joel to act a little bit more dignified. You know, during this during today or during yes when we go to this. <laughs> dignified isn't a word that I resonate with. No, really. yeah. no, you didn't know what it meant, so it didn't do any yeah. good to, for us to tell you to be more dignified. Right. <laughs> when he was a kid. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I the story of my life is like. Morgan and I both like choosing who has to say the pep talk before we attend things together. It's like yep. if there's like going to be a, a lot of people there, then it's like me. I'm like, OK, Morgan, if you get overwhelmed, you need to go home. You let me know <laughs> if it's like a situation where you have to be a level of not loud, then it's Morgan like, okay, Jamie, <laughs> like, I'm gonna need you to not talk the whole time. <laughs> so, like, it just depends on like, which one of us gets the pep talk. But every time we go somewhere, somebody gets a pep talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so thankful for the time to be with you and um, get to know you better and um, talk about things that matter. So the first thing I want to know is, uh, should we call you Jamie or Jamie Grace? Um, uh, Jamie is just fine. Grace is my middle name, so it's how I introduce myself. But uh, but Jamie is totally fine. Yeah. Okay, great. And did your parents use Jamie Grace when you were in trouble? <laughs> um, I got the whole name when I was in trouble. They they uh -huh. brought Jamie Grace Harper in there because yeah. Grace was like my nickname, like Gracie. It was like my cute name. So I I think yeah. they wanted to emphasize like. This is not about, this is not about grace right now. I guess it was, it sounds really bad, but yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. We used to say to the children uh, when they left the house, remember who you are. Because, mm, you yeah. know, Joe's a pastor. And at times we chose to be in town and country ministry and in small towns. And, you know, they just had right. to remember, remember. No, All I, right, Jamie. Yeah, I get that. I saw a post... Maybe yesterday, maybe the day before from you talking about whether or not you were going to write because you were feeling angry. And I thought to myself, me too. I'm, I'm feeling angry too. I don't want to miss an opportunity to learn. I don't want to miss an opportunity to be corrected in real time if I mm. use the wrong language for anything. You know, I'm old. So <laughs> that's not an excuse. It's a reality. And mm. um, I'm trying not to talk about the old days, but I've mm. done this already once. Yeah. I was a freshman in college in 1969. And I went in January. So 68 was still very real. And mm -hmm. um, my first uh, adventure in college was not to go to class. It was to participate in a sit-in uh, mm. for equal rights for black students in President Tate's office. Wow. Yeah, my folks were thrilled. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, and I, by 1975 or six, thought, okay, all right, well, we've done something. We've made a difference. And when I saw your post and realized I was angry too, I asked myself immediately, what am I angry about? And the answer was, maybe we didn't 
make a difference. Maybe mm. that was just um, an illusion of uh, exhaustion or not knowing what else to say or do or yeah. not knowing how to move forward. So from that perspective, I'd love to hear whatever you want to teach me and the people who live, I mean, who listen to us and the people who live all over the country and beyond. And I want to stand beside you when it's appropriate. Mm. And I know that's not always, maybe. Mm. Well, first of all, I mean, everything that you just said was so beautiful and I know I can, I can, in a way, understand that perspective that you're having of thinking we did a sit-in, like we made a difference. And then to look at today and say, well, maybe we didn't, or, you know, did we? And I do think that, I mean, of course, I don't know all the things, but I do think that you guys did make a difference. I just think that the reality is that sin is prevalent and it's real and it can be festered up or reignited or you know what I mean like I it's it's hard it's hard to understand that I was I've talked with my grandparents a little bit these past few weeks my um my mom's parents are both um living they grew up in Alabama and Tennessee they live in Georgia now my grandfather was a veteran and my dad's parents, only my grandmother is alive, um, but she's since remarried. And um, so I have four living grandparents, technically. Um, and um, I don't like the way that I said the word technically, but, <laughs> but four out of five, of, I have I have them in my life. And my parents have talked with their parents at great length. They're in their 70s and 80s, and they feel the same way. So... This is might sound very odd coming out of my mouth, but I'm just going to say it with the boldness that I feel it. It's kind of cool that we all feel the same way. <laughs> it is. Because, it is. I agree. Yeah. Because even though it's a hot mess outside, <laughs> it's it's good to know that everybody feels like it's a hot mess outside. Because mm -hmm. sometimes as a black person in America and especially as a black person that works with predominantly white people professionally and that also has a predominantly white fan base, you can feel like you're the only one feeling it. And when something bad happens to your people, you know that you can't talk to white people because they'll just not feel it like you feel it. So then you find yourself just rummaging around trying to find the nearest black person, just anyone. You'll just smile at a random black person in Kroger or in Walmart or in Target because they feel it and nobody else feels it. Or you'll call up a friend that you haven't talked to in a while because you know that they also mostly work with white people. And it's not a way to say us versus them. It's not a way to isolate ourselves. But that's the reason why you have television networks and universities that are named after blackness and black this and black that, because it's like, well, can someone else just feel this with me? It sounds like the first step is, hey, white people, fix it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. That's not the first step. 
the first step is, hey, can you feel this with me? Mm-hmm. And I'm really good at avoiding feelings as a seven, but I also really like feelings. I'm not really sure where that comes into play, but well, I just like to control when I feel the feelings. I don't like if I feel the feelings in the middle of a grocery store because then I'm uncomfortable, but I like to sit at home by myself sometimes until I my feelings catch up with me and I can just feel all of them and just let them all out. <laughs> it's super weird and creepy when you think about it. But um it's actually so good that I'm going to be saying <laughs> I'm I'm going to be quoting that saying that line. Oh, I'm honored. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, I just I really do try to connect with my feelings because I recognize how much better I feel after I've allowed myself to feel them. Mm -hmm. And I I've seen this sentiment quite often the last week or so of my white peers or white friends or um, just, you know, white strangers because we know we all just scrolled through the internet for days and I've seen people say well I haven't watched the video because I don't want to go there I don't want to feel that it's too hard it's too scary or I can't watch that documentary because it's too sad it hurts too much or I haven't watched the news because it's just too sad. It's just too hard. And I understand that and I respect that and I honor it. I would never tell anyone to, especially as someone that deals with mental health issues, I would never tell anyone to embrace something that would be a hindrance to their health um, by any means. But what's so interesting about it is that like I said this, I actually said this on Instagram about an hour ago and it actually still remains true because we don't live too far from a hospital. But in this present moment, my husband is out running errands and I can hear sirens out the window. So I don't get to avoid it. Every moment in my life is thinking, where's my dad? Where's my husband? Where are my people? Where are my brothers? Where are my friends? You know, I I mean, I've had the experiences myself. So this isn't about the news or a video or anything like that. This is about the everyday struggles that, I mean, and I know this conversation is largely centered around black people, but that, that minorities in general do face and that black people do face. And I know it's so much easier not to talk about it and to ignore it and to not go there, but we don't have that choice every single day of our lives. We deal with Like we might deal with a rude person in the store and then we spend half an hour trying to figure out if it was racist or if they just have a bad attitude. (laughs) Like It's this constant, where am I safe? Where can I fit in? Where is it okay for me to be? Where is it okay for me to go? It's constant for us. And there is work to be done that involves, you know, petitions and things that are higher up than I am. There's really cool organization called be the bridge. Like there's so much awesome work to be done, but I just always ask before we jump into, okay, what can I do? I ask that people feel because when you feel and then you do, it's empathetic and you feel like you're doing work with us instead of for us. And we don't need anybody to do work for us. We bounced out of slavery. Like, I know it was tough. Obviously, it was miserable because slavery was a hot ratchet mess, but we bounced out of it and we are a strong, beautiful, amazing people. 
So we don't need anybody to do the work for us, but we would love it if people would feel with us and do the work with us once they've really begun to feel. So that's why your statement was so beautiful is because one, the fact that you did a sit in that is like the coolest white lady thing ever. And two, like I've never even done a sit in. I'm a little bit jealous. Like you're like checking my black card here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like you feel and we just when people of color, when minorities, when black people, when immigrants are a part of your genuine community, when your dentist is black, when your doctor is black, when your pastor is black, when your community is diverse, then when you see a video of a black person being abused, you don't think I need to know the story or what can I do? You feel. And when you feel because that's your brother, that's your sister, you naturally act. So the first step that I always ask, I just ask people to feel. Be the, be the bridge. That's Latasha uh, Morrison. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm so bad with names, but I love be the bridge so much. And like, I, there's just so many like I always try to tell people, I'm like, look, I talk because I've had a lot of experiences, but there are act, like activists that have been doing more professional activist work for a while. Mm-hmm. So I like to draw the attention there. She's really cool. And oh, she's you an should. You should. Nine. Yeah. So yeah. the whole be the bridge <sighs> love thing a good and the nine. of it. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. That makes <laughs> so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, while I have the two of you here together, it's very interesting to me that what you're reaching for is feelings, since that's what you tend to kind of wrestle with allowing for yourself about some things. You know, it's like um, I also would like to follow up with what you said by saying that I think we have to have some feelings about our own responses to life, not just about what's happening in front of us. Mm-hmm. So I went to my first Zoom funeral yesterday. Mm. Uh, probably among our closest friends, uh, her mother died. I mean, her father died. And they, uh, her mother had been in the hospital, and they were able to get her mother out of the hospital, and they did her father's funeral in their driveway. Mm. And he was a veteran and they got to do the, um, the taps and the gun salute and all that. Like they were able to do the whole thing. And I know most of the people in the family. So I was able to identify uh, all but one of the speakers and people would walk by as we were watching on zoom. And I would say to Joe, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. And the last speaker was a black man. And I turned to Joe and said, I bet that's the guy that's been taking care of Sterling all these years. Mm. And then, uh, and it was, but then I started really second guessing myself. Is that racist for me to think that that was the guy that was taking care of Sterling? Or is it, is it because I knew everybody else and I didn't know him and I knew how important he was in their life. Mm. Or is it, uh, you know, why did that come to mind? And Joe said, well, you were able to identify everybody else and you guessed right that one of the young men was the grandson from Maryland. And I just felt so sad 
that I didn't even know if I had done something wrong. Mm. But I don't want to. Mm. And I think, uh, along with feelings, I think from a white perspective, um, those of us who have the right heart also need to know that we need to ask for grace. Yeah. Does that? Mm-hmm. So I no. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I sometimes find my middle name to be quite such irony because of my natural personality to want to craft words to make people feel not great. <laughs> but, but I, I, I literally I asked my mom or I, I said to her when I was getting some show prep, and I was like, all right, so here's here's the name. The full, you know, all four here. And I'm not sure if Jamie Grace is the stage, is her stage name or if that clearly Harper because of her sister and Harper Stills. Right. And Collins because her husband. But I'm not sure if Grace is a middle name or if it's the stage name. Yeah. But middle name I am, works perfectly. I am very much a Georgia girl. My mom is a Georgia girl. She named me Jamie Grace. Um, and <laughs> I, it's so ironic sometimes because I, I've gotten text messages this week the things that I've been sharing on social media, just about, you know, being black and stuff like that. And I, I created a, a six step process for essentially for white people that were asking, well, what do we do? You know, cause I've had so many of my fans reach out and say, like, this is a, this, this sounds like I'm just, this is a, a random statement, but this is actually a very common sentence. I, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. I had no idea that racism was still bad what do I do? Um, and so I have the six step process that I did. And the very first, um, step in the process, um, is feel. And it's just, it's crazy because I've had a lot of text messages, not all supportive. Um, and I've gotten some messages from, people that look like me that are not all supportive saying like, why do you keep explaining? Why are you being so nice? You know, kind of that thing. And, and, and I understand that that's coming from a place of brokenness. I think a lot of people are angry for me and with me because it, I've had to kind of mask a lot of this for years at the request of people I used to work with who were not fond of, my blackness being pushed to the fr- forefront. Um, and so uh, I, I, I've just kind of shared with them. I said, we have to extend grace. And that looks different for every person. I mean, obviously, it's the biblical truth of what grace is. But that doesn't mean that we all have to take the same actions. And something that I've learned is that for, I mean, for most of my life, I've been the minority. I've been one of the few black people in, in communities and in friendships, uh, with the exception of my home church. <laughs> um, but for, for most of my life, that's just been the story of my life. And I have to understand that even, even though it blows my mind that there are times that I, that white people that I know and love don't understand that I've experienced racism and still do, I have to then say, okay, they're going to either find all of their information in a book or a podcast or a video, which is great, or maybe God could use me to extend some grace and help and help along this process. And it's actually been a, it's been a really beautiful journey. I've, I've, I've actually always like 
I've always wanted to be the friend that people could call about the awkward stuff and the difficult stuff um, and be like, hey, is this weird? Hey, is this not okay? Um, I won't call her name, but I have one friend. Um, she's white. Her husband's black. And she very often will text me, hey, can I say this? <laughs> like, hey, is this okay? You know, she has, yeah. they have a, a mixed race daughter with curls. And so she'll text me, is this cute? Is this ugly? Help me out. You know, all the time. <laughs> Like, I love being that friend. I take it with, with, with joy. And so, and even the fact that you, you know, you said you had that thought like, oh, was that racist or was that okay? You know, I, I don't know if, you know, not that you were asking me, I don't know if like I'm the person to like decide if it was or wasn't. I think the, the, the point is, is that you're, you're asking yourself these questions. Right. You're thinking about these things. That's the important part. And then also like maybe somewhere in your subconscious, like, you knew that the person that was taking care of him was black. And so you saw a black guy. That's kind of just like context clues. That's just like, oh, well, that makes sense, you know. Um, so, you know, sometimes race can cause us, these conversations can cause us to kind of overthink or overanalyze sometimes because I do it too. Like I'll see like, because Morgan's husband is white Hawaiian and Chinese. Um, and my husband is black St. Louis. And so sometimes we'll have like, I'll see like on a commercial, like a mixed couple. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh, that's so great. Like my sister would love like this, this commercial. I should be like, have you seen this commercial? And then I'm like, wait, is that racist? Cause I'm just assuming she wants to see the commercial cause it had a white husband in it. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, so like, I have those thoughts too. I, I think that the important thing is like, I'm asking these questions of myself. I'm making sure that the things that I'm saying are with intention and with love. And I, and I make sure that I have genuine community that I can go to about these things and be like, would this have offended you? Would this be okay? You know, I think we'll all forever face awkward moments and things that could seem as discrimination, but I believe that the, the root issues are, are much bigger and deeper. So you know, not that you need my advice, but I think, I think you're okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have it. I, I do think it's a good thing because it's, I don't remember it, what this was a part of it, it, what slogan it was for. I'm sure it's been for maybe multiple things, but the idea of question everything uh-huh. and that, that that's mm. a good, we're watching the show with our kids, uh, the movie, just go with it. And I was watching and, yeah. be, and because, because of what's going on mm-hmm. in society, I know I'm like every single character in this entire movie is white or not just yeah. go with it. I'm sorry though. The one where they have the baby, their friends die and they leave the baby to them as godparents. I'm going to look oh, it up. The movie it is in. fantastic. It's, um, uh, it's got Catherine Heigl. Yes. And Josh. Yeah. Demel. Anyway. Yep. So I'm watching it. I'm like every single human being in every scene is white except for he is a he works in sports broadcasting the players on the court during a scene and then the cab driver who's a a big comedian uh the cab driver's black but i think noticing things and asking the questions Mm -hmm. are it is important and it doesn't the answer can be no you know it's not just asking the question doesn't mean that it's the answer that the answer is yes yeah. It's I, a good thing yeah. Asking the question. I hope my grandchildren and Isabella get to ask different questions. Yeah. Seems like that would be a place to aim for. Are you going to tell us the other six or is that private property? Oh, I can totally tell you. Okay. Yeah. This so is the trademark. first. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys owe me all the monies. Um, well, see, I feel so very first... <laughs> confident here because I can do the first one as a two all day, every day. So I'm, I'm golden so far. I want to know if it's going to get right. hard for me, right? <laughs> well, step two is recognize. Um, and it's basically to recognize that you're not a hero um, and that this isn't a fight that we need anyone to lead or st- uh, to lead or start, but we need um, we need people to recognize that they're joining a fight that's been going on. Um, I feel like you got that one too. I feel like you've got all these. Um, and then step three is to learn. So it's to listen, to read, to learn, and understand that much of what you'll hear is going to hurt, and it might feel contradictory to how you grew up. It might challenge relationships and jokes that you laugh at. Um, but if you believe in God, just pray as you learn. Take the things that you learn to his feet as he extends his grace, mercy, and peace. And then forest act. So this is when I say don't be a hoarder of sad stories. <laughs> you have to go out and advocate and preach and sign and sing and shout and vote and cry and mourn and grieve. You got to go do the work. And then step five is to surround. I like to put step five or surround as step five. A lot of people feel like it should be an earlier step, but it's to surround yourself with more black adults um, because I don't want it to seem like this, that you surround yourself with black adults so that you can feel or so that you can learn. Um, But it's just so that it becomes a natural, natural part of your community. So like, you know, when we were growing up, like our mom, like drove us out of the way to make sure that like our dentist was black. She drove us out of the way to make sure that our doctor, our doctor wasn't, uh, our doctor was um, an immigrant and she was an incredible woman. And I feel so bad that I can't remember her name, but honestly, like I'm almost 30. So like <laughs> I stopped going to her in like high school. So, um, but like, it's been a while. Like, and I can't, yeah, I can't remember my dentist's name either. Um, but she like, my mom went out of the way to make sure that, that we didn't think like, oh, black people are the trash men. Oh, Hispanic people clean houses. Oh, white people are doctors and preachers. Like she would literally drive us 45 minutes sometimes to just make sure that we were surrounded by diversity. Um, And then step six um, is share. It's just like just like when you see something good on Netflix, like if much as we talk about Tiger King, okay, we'll talk about the stuff that you've learned when you saw when they see us. Um, So, yeah, those are those are the six steps that I developed in anger last week and then i prayed over them to make sure that it was righteous anger (laughs) there you go there you go okay well one of the questions i wanted to ask you and i i I don't i think i'm going to be surprised by the answer is um are you reframing feelings like sevens are prone to do right now and then now that you've talked about kind of postponing feelings to you can go home and feel them alone I want to know what the difference is. Do you, you mean too. like ref? You mean like reframing? Like I try to like turn them into like joy sooner. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Or turn it into. Um... So reframing for sevens generally occurs kind of at a subconscious level of I don't, I don't want, I don't like this, so I'm going to tweak it just a little so it can be a memory that I like. Hmm. So um, we have a friend in our community who works worked on a college campus for years, and she and Joel were talking one day, and, and she said, hey, Joel, when your family gets together at Christmas time, do you uh, have the same memories from Thanksgiving that everybody else does? And Joel said, no. Mm. 
No, no. <laughs> and that's because the things that they didn't like about Thanksgiving, they just reframed in real time. And then by Christmas, the reframed stuff is what they remember. Right, do do right. That? No, no. <laughs> I think my <laughs> my greatest weakness with this um, that I that I can think of, it relates to my sister. I talk about my my humans a lot, but it relates to my sister. And we had this issue for the first twenty. How old am I? Twenty eight. So for the first twenty eight years of my life, we had this issue where every birthday. I would sit down and write down who I was going to invite to spend my birthday with me. And I would like make a list. And then Morgan would be like, okay, uh, you said she wasn't nice to you last week. Okay. This girl like did something weird. Okay. This girl, like, like, and like, and she wasn't like bad mouthing them, but she would remind me of the, of the ways that I had been hurt or the places that our friendships stood. Um, and then because I would have like 65 people on the list every year and um, and I would be like, well, no, but like she also like bakes good cookies and like she's a good friend and all this stuff. And Morgan was like, how do you not remember like the fact that you were crying in your room for two and a half weeks because of something she texted you and now you want to invite her to your party? So, you know, if that's considered reframing, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll go with it. That's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I just like, I just don't like to be sad. Like, I understand that it's inevitable and I'm working through that for sure. Like, hashtag thanks to my therapist. But yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's hard. Feelings are hard because as much as I enjoy feeling them, I don't, I don't like unresolved um, conflict or unresolved issues. I want every, like, the idea or the thought in my head that I could have hurt someone's feelings and I've not apologized and they think about that or they still feel it like that actually burdens me every single day. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. I think about it every day that there's probably somebody out there in the world that I've hurt their feelings and I didn't know it. And so it just drives me crazy. So I have to try to develop like this positivity in my brain because I'm just like, hopefully they'll reach out and tell me what I did wrong. And so I can apologize. But if they don't, I'll just try to find the joy in it and try to think of good memories. And maybe they'll like me. <laughs> seven. So seven. We should just record her. I know. We should just stand her up and record her. Oh, it's, we it's, are it's, doing it's that happening. very thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, you're not recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, crap. Yeah. We but this is cool. It's, it's right I like hanging out. It's fine. <laughs> um, all right. I, um, there are so many things I want to talk about, but I don't want to stop talking about what's happening around us. If you have more that you want to say or that you want to talk about. I don't know if I, not that I like don't have more to say, but I really appreciate the, the time that you did give me to share. I, it's weird because, well, I guess maybe I do have more to say, but it's weird because <laughs> I like as black people, I'm, I've learned recently in counseling, not even related to race, but I've learned that I need to acknowledge the word trauma in my life, which is really scary to acknowledge, but I'm learning to acknowledge that word. And so I've learned that as a people, we have faced so much trauma historically, yes, but also in our everyday lives. And something that we do is we just, we 
gotta go to work. We gotta smile. We gotta just push it to the back of our head and push through it. And I'm gonna be, I don't even know if you guys have noticed. It's okay if you haven't noticed, but even just like, just your grace in extending me like that ability to even share that. Like I'm currently physically sitting at so much more peace because it's not that I didn't think you were going to bring it up, but I was just more in my mindset of just to talk about like sevenness and like my loudness. Mm -hmm. And I had to just kind of push my blackness to the back, which is what I always do when I go to work Mm -hmm. because people don't want to hear that I'm sad. But it's not like I'm trying to be sad so that I can be happy. Right. It's that I I have to be sad while I'm happy. And you allowing me to share that really afforded me that privilege to now be able to talk about other things, but acknowledge what's at the foundation. So thank yeah. you. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really sad, too. I'm really sad, too. I honestly don't know if we want to talk about this on this podcast or a future podcast, but I really want to talk with you about uh, the reality that you were diagnosed young with Tourette's, OCD, ADHD, and anxiety. I, golly, I, I'm just astonished, honestly, by the way you found to be in the world based on what I've seen and know that doesn't, I, I, I can't find a place in what's available for me to look at from you mm. where you're a victim mm. or where you see yourself as a victim is a better way to say that. So, um, my, my story has some trauma in it too. Mm. And, um, one of the things I learned from my trauma is that you can learn to tell your story either with you as a victim or with you as the victor. And it's actually mm-hmm. the exact same story. It wow. just depends yeah. on your focus. Mm-hmm. And you are certainly the victor. Like, I hope you already knew. <laughs> but it's clear that you have um, decidedly managed your life and made choices so that you can be the victor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes your work and your music so beautiful, so meaningful, and this is the big word for me, and so accessible. Mm-hmm. Because an awful lot of music that comes from your age group is not accessible for me. I can't mm-hmm. access it because of me. I mean, I'm not putting anything on the music. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it, 45 years difference is a year or two, right? <laughs> Can yeah. you talk about, can you share kind of how it came about that you were diagnosed with those things? And Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was nine when my, um, when my symptoms, when we really noticed my symptoms starting. And so that's kind of the official age that has been, you know, shared in doctor's visits and now in public. Um, now that we, you know, 
share stories and learn more. And I say we mostly my parents and I, but also my sister, um, we look back and we're like, oh, those symptoms started earlier. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> we just didn't really notice what they were. Um, but but yeah, so it the main diagnosis for me is my Tourette syndrome. And it just started with uh, uh, ticks in my arms and my legs, um, some eye squinting and um, like a head head nod and jerking thing. And um, so that's that's where everything started. And you know, at first it was, oh, Jamie's got, you know, one of her quirks again, because I was such a quirky child. And so, uh, but eventually it turned into, I remember once my parents were lecturing me about something. It wasn't, I had like done something foolish, but it wasn't, you know, one of the, one of the big ones. <laughs> it was just one of the, one of the like, dude, why would you do that? You know, one of those. So they were like lecturing me about something, you know, and, um, I just, I kept twitching. I just, my arms, my legs. I just remember my mom being like, I mean, like, let's just be real. I'm the youngest kid. I'm like, you've, you've heard how dignified and like wise my sister is. So I was a nut. And so my mom was just like, cut it out. And I was just like, I can't, which is normal for me to say like, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm doing cartwheels. I can't stop, you know, I'm like, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm like, I can't help it. You know, I was I was a weird kid, very proudly weird adult. And so eventually it just it led to this conversation where like my mom could see in my eyes like I can't stop. Um, and so it just that I mean, that progressed for, you know, weeks and or days and weeks and eventually into months of, of me just telling my mom, like, my body is doing this thing and I just can't stop. Um we're very fortunate that one of my mom's um, closest friends is an incredible doctor. Um, and also uh, her daughter, who was one of my best friends, is also a doctor. So um, lots of calls when I had the baby, like they're they're incredible resource for us and just friends. But she recommended that we go to my primary who recommended that I go to a neurologist. And long story short, I spent a solid I don't know, 18 to 24 months just going through test after test after test. Um, I had some not great experiences with, uh, with some medical professionals. One of the neurologists in particular, she, um, she said that I had psychotic eyes and that is not a thing. And so, um, that was just weird. My mom's, my mom just like kicked into like, I don't know if Morgan shared this with you guys. My mom and dad have not taken the Enneagram, uh, like any test. And I know you're not supposed to type people. That is my disclaimer. So my mom's a two and she (laughs) decided she went home and did all the research for like she didn't sleep for days. And she like got all these like pay all this paperwork and all this stuff because this is after almost two years of every doctor, every sleep study, all this stuff, Um, all the MRIs. I was on a heart monitor, brain scans spinal taps I'm, like, I'm 19 years old all this stuff and my mom does all the research brings it to my neurologist and she says my daughter has Tourette syndrome um and the neurologist response was well she's black and she's a female so there's no way she has Tourette's um so my mom said thank you and walked out of the room literally and my mom finds a better neurologist he actually uh, focuses on Parkinson's disease but my mom figured that because he was a movement specialist you would know more and so he was the one that affirmed my diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, OCD, and anxiety. And 
he in without officially saying it it was basically like also she has adhd but like i'm not gonna write it down because like there's a bunch of stuff on here <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> just like a part of her tourette's like yeah. you know it's just all <laughs> most kids with tourette have it um so that was the diagnosis process and um yeah i mean it was it was weird it was super like i felt isolated and disconnected and at first, I was hopeful like, when I first got the diagnosis, but then I found out there was no cure. And so then I just felt devastated. And excuse me. Um, sorry, it's emotional, but I wasn't crying. Um, I just I was just devastated and confused and isolated and self-isolated because I felt isolated. And it was just weird. It was a, it was a weird time. And I felt like the victim for a while. You know, mm-hmm. now now I now I'm able to look back and see early symptoms of maybe like a depressive episode. Um, but I felt defeated. I felt like nothing mattered. I felt like I didn't matter. Um, it was literally right at the time that, uh, my sister was, uh, wanting to go to public high school. Um, and so even, even that was weird for me because I, you know, I'm watching her grow up and experience life and I'm sitting back like, do I like what is my life like do I get to do anything you know yeah so do I remember correctly the public high school didn't turn out all that great I mean you know she stayed for five <laughs> weeks yeah five weeks <laughs> there so, you go <laughs> yeah so she she did not like it I went to public elementary well we both went to public elementary and she went to public high school and we homeschooling was our calling it just is what it yeah. is we learned that quick so just meant to be for you guys yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, and we'll figure out, you know, as our kids grow up, we'll figure out what makes the most sense for them. But um, one of the reasons why I'm glad I was homeschooled is because I literally just, I just stopped school, I think at the age of 12 or 13, I literally just stopped for about a year um, because I I was just too sick. My tics were getting out of control. I was getting more and more tics. My OCD was becoming so controlling that I I couldn't function during the day. I couldn't get out of my room because my OCD would say, no, you didn't do this. No, you didn't do that. My anxiety was like just, it was just, everything was just too much. Mm-hmm. And then we tried medications, but the medications just like made me like, so like just nothing. Like I just, yeah. they just drained me and just made me miserable. It was rough. It was really, really rough. I, I don't want to just sound like a whole womp womp on the story, but um, but yeah, I, I went through a lot as a kid and I do think that that's a lot of the reason why feelings are even hard for me now, you know, because I was forced to feel mm-hmm. and I was forced to feel a lot at a young age and, as it, a you seven. know, some, right. Sorry. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sorry to interrupt, no, but no, as a seven, fine. as a seven, yeah. that's really tricky. It's like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, that's well, my life messy. was, you know, we had my family would always like laugh and joke about this. And I'm, I'm glad they did because it's funny. But like there was a show growing up called Zoom and like everybody's like, you know, we use the Zoom app for meetings. I remember the show Zoom where it was like the kids SNL, but they also did like DIY Pinterest projects and they like <laughs> sang and dance and like taught you how to cook and all this stuff. It was so cool. And so I wanted to be on Zoom um, like I mean, I still want to be on Zoom and I understand that the cast is 13 and the show is canceled, but like, I, I really want to be on Zoom. 
um, like desperately. And so I used to pretend to film episodes of Zoom in the kitchen when I was little. Like I would stand in uh, the kitchen and like teach people how to make a peanut butter and jelly. But there was no camera. Like I didn't have a camera. I would just talk to the wall and pretend like that was my cameraman. And like that was, you know, that was my childhood. Just like yeah. always creating, always dreaming, always wanting to be. Um, you know, I like everything in my life was just about what is the biggest dream that I can dream and how how big can I make the dream, you know? Um, and then sickness just showed up and kind of said, just kidding, we don't dream anymore, we feel. Um, and so that just kind of changed everything. I've got a mailbox, an email mailbox full of questions from parents who ask how does ADHD, how does ADD, how do these things affect our child's anagram number? It's worded, every email is worded a little bit differently. Kind of looking back on it now as an adult and knowing the anagram and your anagram number, what would your answer be to that question as a seven? Yeah, well, I can say for me, the Enneagram was so crucial or is so crucial and so helpful in learning more about myself. I mean, I know that sounds so blanket statement, but a few years ago, I just started to really, really, really try to hone in on what is my character and what is clinical because mm-hmm. I I would notice that I felt like I was excusing behavior sometimes as, well, I'm ADHD. And I didn't like that feeling of like, I wouldn't stay focused on a project for too long. And so I was like, well, I'm, I have ADHD. I can't help it. And first of all, even if I can't help it, I don't want to just personally, I don't want to just excuse it. If that project was something important that I committed to and that I want to do and that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to figure out how can I better manage my ADHD when it comes to things that really matter, you know, but also I wanted to figure out like how much of this could possibly be a character flaw or a character quirk, if you will, um, that is just me not wanting to finish stuff. Like, sure. and sure. so, so when my sister first told me about the Enneagram, you know, like most people, I was like, well, actually, I thought it was cool, but I just didn't. Like, if I don't have the time to, like, dig all into something, I'm just not even going to start. So I was like, sorry, I can't really dig into it. And then my husband and I, we had a road trip to Arizona. And so I was like, okay, I can look into it now. And once I listened to you and many other podcasts and I started listening about sevens, I was like, oh, man, it is my responsibility to acknowledge (laughs) these things, you know, (laughs) like it's not all my ADHD. And it was so it was so convicting, but so freeing at the same time, because like the conviction part of it was, oh, no, I am responsible for not following through. Like it's not all my clinical Mm -hmm. or my chemical imbalance. Um, However, it was also freeing because it was like, oh, I can work on it. This can mm-hmm. be molded. I can learn to be more focused. I can practice this behavior that I desire. Um, and yeah, I mean, it It kind of, you know, my parents don't, They, like I said, they haven't taken the test, but my mom, sometimes I feel like she has and she just hasn't told us because a lot of the things that she'll say are just, or maybe she's just really smart, which is probably that one. But one thing, like when we were little, 
we were younger <laughs> with my OCD. Like, so one of the, this sounds so cliche of OCD and I promise it's much more than the cliches, but I was always reorganizing the refrigerator. I was always, I had to wash my hands a certain way. I couldn't, my mom put these new countertops in and I didn't want to touch them. So I was like, I can't do dishes, mommy. Sorry. You know, it was like all Mm -hmm. these things that like I couldn't do or I had to do because of my OCD. And I remember I was only about 12 years old and my mom sat me down and she said, I need you to understand something. She's like, your OCD is hard and it's challenging and I'm going to help you fight through this and work through this. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do as a mom to make sure that when you're home, that you are free to, you know, not feel like you have to suppress it. And that when you go out into the world that you don't feel like you have to suppress it. But what you need to understand is that the rest of the world is not your mom. And the rest of the world will not cater to you the way that I do. And I think a lot of people might be like, oh, no, that's tough love. Like, that's too much. But I'm glad that my mom said that to me. It's what's given me, like you said, that I'm not a victim. It's what's helped me understand a sense of resiliency. It's what helped me understand, like, yes, I do have Tourette syndrome, OCD, ADHD, and anxiety. And when I go into a restaurant, my OCD might say, I want things this way. But what if everybody else happens to have OCD in the restaurant and they want it the opposite way? I could pitch a fit. I could work through it or I could just go home. I don't have to eat at that restaurant. But it really gave me a sense of like focusing on the fact that like, yes, my mental health complexities are very real. My diagnosis are real. Um, But sometimes things don't need to be associated directly with my clinical issues, my, my mental health issues. And the Enneagram has really helped me draw a line. It's not like a straight line. It's like the squiggly line, like those, um, the things that the car dealerships that are doing this, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's the blow up things. It's one of those kinds of lines and it just like floats around all the time. <laughs> That's the line that I've drawn between the Enneagram <laughs> and ADHD. There you go. <laughs> it floats, but it is a helpful line nonetheless. And I, mm. I just, I just have to keep putting in the work and have good accountability. Really. That's helpful as well. What Enneagram number is Aaron? He is the threeiest three that ever threed. Oh my, there's a oh. lot of aggressive lot of behavior at your house. This is a this is one of the loudest homes I think that is a this yeah. Our house is crazy. <laughs> like every time we tell people that we're a three and a seven, they just pause for a moment. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's yeah. the only thing to do. I know, even, I know. Yeah. <laughs> even I say, Oh, Right. It's funny, too, because every people that don't know the Enneagram. So um, like we he and I started dating long distance uh, in this was in 2017 in November. Uh, We got engaged in January and we got married in April. And people that don't know the Enneagram, they're like, wow, it's crazy. And it's it's hard, too, because I don't want my fans to think that I'm trying to be like, listen, young girls, these are the rules like Mm -hmm. that doesn't work for everybody. But. People that do know the Enneagram usually go, oh, wow, like, what are your numbers? Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it, it makes sense if, like, it just, just makes yeah. sense. It's just how we Why are. waste time? <laughs> We're getting stuff done. Yeah. yeah. Getting stuff right. done. Very right. efficient. I have Very a goal efficient. It is to get a wife. You are the wife that is the goal. Yeah. I'm going to wife you. <laughs> there you go. That's so good. That's so good. What do you, uh, this is a question I always um, ask or often ask. I think a lot of children who are sevens are diagnosed with ADHD. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe that doc really was just going with those three because the doc knew that there was a thing that looked like ADHD, but it might not be. Mm-hmm. It might be just you, just your quirky yeah. self, right? Literally, you literally sound like my mom, yeah. <laughs> my normal question is to say to people, what do you wish people knew about your Enneagram number? Uh, because of where we are in this moment in real time, I'd like for you to answer that question. What do you wish people knew about sevens? And then uh, what do you wish people knew about being young and black? Mm. Those two. Nobody's ever asked me that second question before. I've, I've, been, I've been doing interviews for 13 years. Nobody's ever asked me about my youth and blackness before. Thank you for that. Um, the first question, man, this is, I hope, I think I'm quoting the right person here. I think I listened to, I definitely listened to an interview of a person who is a seven. And I want to say that it was Dave Barnes, but I just hate to, I hate to quote someone and be quoting the wrong person. But I think, yeah, I think it'll be a very similar answer of what this person said that may or may not be Dave Barnes. And it's just like, I just want people to know that like, I have feelings too. Like I'm not happy all of the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I, my husband and I were, um, and I, if the person that I'm about to mention, if they're listening, like, please know that I, I'm not like offended or anything because they might be able to guess. But I was on set of a show and um, that I, I was like, I hate talking about myself, but I was the lead actor in this show. And so I was on set. We were taking a break and someone on set, we just kind of got talking to them, me and my husband and the, the person. And they asked, <laughs> we got to talking about the Enneagram and they said their number and they asked my husband, what's his number? And my husband was like, I'm a three. And he was like, oh yeah, I can see that. That's cool. And this actually happens to me a lot. And he was like, what's, uh, what's your number? And I get two responses when I tell people that I'm a seven, either they go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like everything falls into place. Or like this scenario, he said, what? No, you're not a seven. You seem so like normal, so chill. Like what? You're not a seven. (laughs) And like, first of all, I am a very mature grown up, which is such a seven thing to (laughs) try to prove that you're a mature grown up. But I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, look at my, you want to see my driver's license? (laughs) Look at my license. Do the math. Um, It's just, it's frustrating that, I think sometimes people just, I don't feel like as a seven, I'm always given the space to feel. I'm always given, afforded the, the privilege of, of, of feeling. Um, I feel like I'm oftentimes expected to bring all of the joy to the table. And that's just not something that I can always do. Um, this kind of ties into, what you were saying about like when you asked me what is it like to be young and black and um i shared this on my instagram the other day because i was just talking about just the importance of just needing to know that your life matters as a black person and um a young girl tweeted uh responded to it and she said and her username was named after one of my songs And she had a photo of us on her Instagram and she said that I was her hero. 
And so she left a comment and she said, I disagree with you, but nevertheless, I support you as a musician and a creator. Um, and I responded to her and I said, you don't get to do that. I'm sorry. My music as a black creator stems from my struggle. Your username named after my song is rooted in my identity as a black Christian woman. On your profile, you said that I'm your hero and I don't take that lightly, the privilege of being someone you can look up to. But I'm weak right now. Your hero is breaking and you don't get to disagree with the root of my pain until I'm strong enough to entertain you again. Mm. Um, and that's how I feel as an Enneagram 7. That, you know, I remember I was I was working with someone uh, before, a producer I was working with for a long time, I no longer work with. And I played a song that meant everything to me. It's called Forsaken. And it's about how when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when I was 11 years old, that became my favorite verse in the Bible. Because I realized that, wow, Jesus even felt forsaken by God, too. So it's okay if I have feelings, too. And I played this song and his response was, you can sing that song once you bring me X amount of happy songs. And it's the expectation that because I've made people smile before, because I've entertained them before, because I've brought them joy before, that's my responsibility forever. I'm not allowed to feel, I'm not allowed to hurt. It happens when I meet people, like I'll meet people and I'll have so much fun meeting them. Like, it'll just be like, I'll meet a random person in Target and I'll just feel like we're best friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to follow each other on Instagram. And it's just like, we just like become besties. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I could trust you to be my child's godmother. Like all this stuff, like, you know, just very seven of me just becoming best friends with everybody. And then I feel like I'm expected to uphold that for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like they text me and say, hey, I want to catch up. They don't mean they want to catch up. They want like a 40 minute conversation that'll make them laugh and smile and feel happy. And I, I can't do that all the time. I, I get so sleepy. <laughs> like, I'm so sleepy right yeah. now. Like I just too much, too much. I just want. Yeah, I just want to be allowed to feel. I want to be allowed to hurt. I want to be allowed to sing the sad songs without people thinking something's wrong necessarily. Yeah. You know, or that I'm that I'm considering, you know, harming myself or something, yeah. just being honest, like that's something that's a part of my past. And so if I sing a sad song, people immediately assume, oh, she must be ready to go. And I'm like, well, or I'm just sad. Yeah, I just, just want to be sad. Yeah. And then I'll, I don't think that's a sin. I just I'm just like, it's like <laughs> it's like when I talk about being sad online, people start like reminding me of scripture which like i love scripture i got a bunch of bibles like i really like scripture but it's like just because i'm sad doesn't mean i'm not a christian anymore right, <laughs> like, right. Like, yep and don't use jesus's words to tell me to be happy yeah like yeah. like jesus don't. wept it's a very short verse but it means a whole lot <laughs> so so yeah that's how i feel that's what i wish people knew about sevens and that's also what i wish people knew about being young and black um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of young black people that we entertain, you know, athletes and artists and creatives and speakers and motivational speakers. And it's like, that's just who we are. Like, cause we're strong people and, 
and a confident people. And, and I'm proud of that. But we just want to be allowed to feel. We want to be allowed to say that as black people, our lives matter and not lose the people that were on the front row of our concerts when we were singing that their life mattered. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So well said. There's that. Well said. Uh, the name of the movie I was thinking of earlier is Life As We Know It. So that came That's back to me. That's it. Thank yeah, you. So there, there's that. Um, didn't I have to would look like it up. to you, tell you, you me this whole that time. my sister told me that she recently told me, she said, you don't have any seven friends and that's what's wrong with you. Just normal sentences that Morgan and I say to each other. That's what's wrong with you. What you just did in this present moment, possibly the most relatable thing I've experienced in the last 13, <laughs> 15, 20 years. Like I was like, yes, he just thought of it. Thank you. He didn't have to tell a story before. <laughs> I'm understood. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's happening, but I'm very happy for both of you. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a seven, a brother, in, it's a seven in her built. witnessing the seven yes. in me. That's right. That's right. Works for me. It works for me. Is, Isabella is nine months old now? Dude, she's going to be one on one. Sunday. Okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Happy, happy early birthday. Yeah. Thank happy you. Birthday. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, she's a lucky little girl. My uh, my you. youngest one is going to be two in August, and oh, that's awesome! I have two, oh yeah, she's she's awesome. I I hit the I tell people <laughs> I hit just the child jackpot with all four. They're they're great. <laughs> my I have two parenting questions for you. The okay. first one is as a parent and a seven, what is an aspect or part of parenting that you just know you are going to be excellent at that, you know, you've got it locked <laughs> up and are excited to do. Okay. Oh, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't Sorry. sure if it was the one where both questions were going to come together, but I'm going to answer. Oh, yeah. I got you. Okay. My bad. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're no, you're gay. Not, that's not your bad. Just welcome to my brain. <laughs> um, glad you're here. So yeah, I think, thank you for that question. You guys have great questions. Um, Whatever that sweet little girl dreams of doing, we will jump right into it with both feet and both arms. I'm so people ask me all the time. They're like, do you want her to be a singer? I'm like, yes. And a teacher and a lawyer and a mechanic, whatever her heart desires. I'm here for it. I'm I'm already so proud of her. I'm just like. Whatever dreams you have in your heart, little girl, you just let me know and I will try to control myself so you don't get stressed out, but I'm ready to make them happen. Awesome. All right. And then you can probably guess where the second question is going. What is something <laughs> that you're afraid of as a parent? Afraid that you're going to drop the ball on or not Everything not else. Well? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Um, man, I am... Um, <laughs> I actually feel like it's the same answer, to be honest with you, because and I say that because something that I've learned in marriage, my husband will I feel like I just got good at this, like I got better at this, like literally in the last four to five months. But my husband will have the slightest thought or idea. The other day he was like, man. We should have moved to London just randomly, right? 
And then within 20 minutes, I found the European alternative to Zillow. Um, I already figured out exactly what it would cost us, what we needed to do. I was trying to do the math as far as like COVID-19, when can we go? I was trying to look at my career, plan my touring schedule around moving to Europe. All this stuff, because, you know, I mean, as you guys know, when I'm stressed, I go to a one. And so I also get like in I get hyper planning mode. And so I I realized like and I realized this a few months ago. And, you know, he's so gracious and like sharing with me how he feels. And then, of course, me sharing back with him. And like, I realized that I kind of I kind of hijack people's dreams sometimes. And I don't it's not so much. Well, I think it could be a part of making it my own, but it's not that I'm trying to do that. It's just that I have this mindset of, well, if you have a dream, you got to go chase it. But I have to remind myself that end of discussion, if they have a dream, then they have to go chase it. And so with parenting, I have to remember that as well, that like right now, Isabella loves to play basketball and she's really good at it. Like, I mean, she's got a little baby basketball hoop and, you know, my husband's a a former athlete. And so I have to remind myself like, Hey, your kid might enjoy basketball and never play. And, and in the grand scheme of things, like that's totally fine with me. I genuinely do want her to do whatever it is that she wants to do. Um, I just, I have to just constantly check myself and just to make sure that I'm not over planning, you know, I mean, it, sometimes it, it works, you know, to the advantage of other people. My brother-in-law mentioned something about something that he wanted to start. And so, um, I just took about 20 minutes from work and made him a quick PDF and, uh, sent it over to him. And I said, here's a business plan if you want it. And he was like, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you figured it out. I know it, you know, so sometimes it works and it's super cool, but I just have to remind myself that like, all dreams don't have to be massive. Like you can embrace every, every dream in any capacity. Um, especially when it comes to your kiddo, just like let her dream in the capacity that her heart wants to dream and ask for wisdom and guidance from the Lord when it comes to the capacity that I will be in her life to help fulfill it. You know, language that I really like to use for many, many things is uh, how can I set the table? For this to happen. Oh, that's and so good. It, it is a, it, it kind of tells me what my part is and mm-hmm. what my part isn't. Like, I mm. don't, uh, it's my job to set the table. I don't have to do the rest. I am spending mm. a great deal of time, time, time trying to set the table for my grandchildren to play basketball. I just, <laughs> so I, I like, I'm I'm wanting Isabella to be a basketball player too. I'm just saying, just putting in my mind. I was well, I was about to say I was like, if yours don't, then you can come to Bella's games. So there you go. Good. There you go. Well, I oh, that's um, powerful. I, I hope that you will uh, call Morgan this afternoon and tell her that she's got a lot of competition. <laughs> it was. I'm calling her directly after this phone call. <laughs> I can't tell you what a joy it's been to talk with you and how comforting it's been for me on this particular day during this particular Mm. time to share this kind of space. What a lovely gift. Thank you so so much. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Nobody wants to be hurting. Nobody wants to be bruised. We carry love.